Amen. And you may be seated. Usually we have people stand for a couple songs and then sit for a couple. We did that second service, but then we're like, wait, that song is about all stand and we're sitting. So anytime in our church, if you want to stand, you can, st- you can stand while I'm preaching. I don't care. But if you want to sit, by all means, sit. It's, it's whatever works for you, we're, we're good with. Well, it's great to gather together again. We last week started a new series called Verses for Life. And the idea is, it used to be that when people would become Christians right away, they were encouraged to memorize scripture. And so there were these little scripture memory cards that the navigators put out and you'd put them on your dashboard and, and you know, remember them, put them on your desk and, and people would learn scripture. Uh, nowadays, it's not nearly as popular, I think, because you can just look a verse up on your phone. You can Google it. You can find it anytime you want. But it's not just about knowing the verse. It's about having it in your heart in a way that even as you're doing other things, you can meditate on the scriptures. I think it's more important than ever that we take God's word and really put it into our minds so that we are able to, you know, throughout the day have a verse that I'm thinking about this verse today. This is one that I really want to germinate because you can know a verse even, and if you don't make the attempt to actually program it in there, it doesn't have the power to make great changes in your life that scripture actually has as the living word of God. And there are different, my wife Ann uh, has found an app called Versify, where you can tell it the verse that you wanna memorize, and then it'll block out some of the words, and you go through it, and you put, you say what it is, and it helps you to remember. So there's no reason why with technology we can't use that to actually help us to program the scripture within our minds. But then it just becomes down to, well, what scriptures are we going to memorize? And so that's what this series is about. We're going through scriptures that, um, and Justin and I have spent a lot of time figuring out what our favorite scriptures are, what are the most important ones for people to know and to meditate on. And so each week, last week, if you were with us, I went through what one of the most important scriptures that there is, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, about trusting in the Lord with all of your heart. And as we shared, the reason that's such an issue is we have all kinds of people who think they're trusting in God and other stuff. But you don't trust in God unless you trust in God to the exclusion of everything else. And so it's an important thing for us to learn. And so we talked about that quite a bit. If you weren't with us, you can go back and check on that one if you'd like. Um, The scripture that I want to share with you today comes, we go to the New Testament and Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28, 29, and 30, I know three verses, oh, sorry. But, you know, it's this powerful statement that Jesus makes and is probably one of the more neglected things that Jesus taught on because it's ultimately about rest. Rest isn't that popular of a topic for us. We tend to think of God as being the one who wants to put us to work, who wants to get as much productivity out of us 
as he possibly can. In our culture today, there are a lot of things that rob us of just the concept of rest, which rest ultimately means to take a break from work in order to be restored, you know, um, to, to be reinstated back into that which is your life. The word recreation is a word recreation. We're designed in a way that we can function and then we need to have a break. Um, rest isn't about just I'm always resting. Rest is about strategic you know, periods of time and place where you get back your strength in order to continue to go on doing what you're doing. There are all kinds of, lots of research nowadays about the effects of rest. And, you know, the, the experts say that the difference between people who intentionally rest periodically and those who don't is about two and a half years of life expectancy. So if you think you don't have time to rest, well, it's just going to come off the end of your life, ultimately. There was a study in a university in England that involved about 17,000 participants and they talked about rest and how it affects them. And, and it's really interesting, but they ultimately with these people, they said, okay, what does rest look most like for you? And they, have a, they had a list of the top 10 things that people say, this is what's restoring for me. This is what you know, re-energizes me, which is really what it means. And you know, number one that was most commonly listed was reading, but they made it clear there are certain kinds of reading that do this for you and others that don't, so you have to figure it out. But certainly reading is high on the list. Being out in nature is listed as really high on the list. And then close to that often is walking. Walking is something that people find is really restful. Listening to music, certain kinds of music, is something that is restoring. There were a significant number of people who said, rest for me is when I don't do anything. And that's, that works too. But at all these different factors, but it's surprising that Jesus, who it would seem like he had a lot to do in a short time, starts his ministry and his ministry only lasted three years and then he died and he had to save the world. It's surprising that he would say, rest is one of the most important things that I can teach you about. It's essential to you coming to me, connecting with me, understanding who I am. And so in Matthew chapter 11, beginning with verse 28, Jesus says, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek or humble, gentle, different translations say, New King James says gentle and lowly, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, I don't want to put a burden on you to memorize this, but I'd suggest that if you take a few breaks this week and go over the scripture and program it into your minds, it's so chock full of things that, that life is made of, actually. And you really don't understand Jesus. 
You really don't understand what it is to be a Christian unless you understand this verse that he uses to describe his connection with others. Now, again, he's saying this fairly early on in his ministry and letting them know this is so important. And they hung on to it enough that they continued throughout their lives to reflect back on it. So looking at these verses and like, what do they mean? I'll, I'll dig a few more things out of them and we'll talk about how that works in our everyday lives. So Jesus says, come to me. Now, a lot of times people use this scripture as you need to become a Christian. But the way that what he says here is not come to me, literally. That's the way it's translated. But it's really come toward me is what, is what the word actually means. So head in my direction. Come toward me. If you are laboring and heavy laden. That word for labor is a word that means you have worked to the point of exhaustion. It's not just you've worked. Work is work, everyone does that. But he says, if you find yourself that your work has brought you to a point where you don't think you can go on, you, are, you have labored yourself into the ground, and you know, you're heavy laden, that's a, that's a word that refers to having a load that is impossible for you to carry. So it's not like, yeah, this is heavy, this is hard. It's like, I can't move this anymore. I cannot do this. So he says, you find yourself in that spot where you're exhausted. You just don't think you can continue. What you're carrying is much too much for you to carry. Then you're going to head toward me and I will give you rest. I will restore you. But then he goes on and says, take my yoke. And it's like, wait, you're giving me one more thing to do. Take your yoke. But see, really like in the same way as when in Proverbs, when it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, he's saying, trust in God and not on anyone else. Now he's saying, take my yoke and no one else's. Stop letting other people determine your agenda and come toward me and I have my agenda. But it's interesting. He says, take my yoke and learn from me. Learn, you know, the learning actually, if in the beginning where he says, come toward me, now that was pros in the Greek, this is apa, away from me. So, Take my yoke and learn away from me. As you come into a connection with me, we're going to turn it around and move it back out as I do the work of putting you back in the game. Learn away from me, learn from me, Apa. But then it's interesting, he goes, you need to learn this because what's gonna surprise you is I'm not what you think I am probably. He says, I'm gentle. So if your yoke isn't gentle, you're taking on something that he hasn't given you because when he commissions you for something, he lays it on there in a way that comes from a gentle Lord. But the second word, lowly in heart, is one that really shocked me and I had to spend some time wrestling with this because 
in every place this word is used, what it means is depressed. And that's like, so Jesus is saying, take my yoke and learn from me. And here's where you start. I am gentle and I'm depressed. Now, we resist that, and no one translates it that way, even though everyone knows that's exactly what the word means. But because we have this relationship with the idea of depression, that it's something horrible, that it's something that should be fixed. Certainly, a Jesus who is described as, you know, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, we would say, we have medicine that can fix that. Or why don't you, you made all that wine at the wedding, why don't you try chug-a-lugging some of it and you'll find yourself less depressed. Jesus understood what it was to be depressed. In fact, he has been tempted in everything as we are, yet without sin. So if you feel like, oh, you know that, that push of depression, and most people do it one time or another. There are people, I've known people who claim they've never felt depressed a day in their life. Those people are liars. But um, he goes, no, this is me, I'm depressed. Even depression isn't something that I necessarily want to fix because coming to him, and again, sometimes you're like, I just feel like I can't get up and keep moving. Jesus is like, I know, come toward me because I get that completely, I understand that. And yet the temptation with depression is that, you rest and you keep resting. But that's not what he's telling us. It's like, no, I want to get you back in the game. You have a yoke to carry, but you need to realize the one who is commissioning you understands what it is to be depressed. And he's not grabbing you and shaking you and ordering you to not be depressed. If you've been depressed, did it ever help when somebody goes, oh, don't cheer up? You know, is that something that really, oh, yeah, I never thought of that. <laughs> and yet we so often treat depression, and again, I'm not a doctor. Please do whatever your doctor tells you to do. So I'm not giving medical advice here. But as a society, we have acted like you can't get everything done you need to get done if you're depressed, so therefore fix depression so that now you can act like you're happy and keep moving and do what everyone wants you to do. And Jesus delivers us from that by saying, I'm depressed. I'm a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. You're going to tell me I need to be fixed? I'm perfect and I'm depressed. And there's an old saying, well, you know, the, the old traditional saying that uh, if you can keep your head when all about you, others are losing theirs, then you're really a man. And then somebody else did a version of it that said, if you can keep your head when all about you, others are losing theirs, you probably don't know what's going on. <laughs> and, you know, it's like Jesus totally knows what's going on and he's not depressed all the time, but he's saying you need to make time for restoration and recreation. And I know because this is something that I battle with. Again, he tempted in everything as we are, in the worst depression, he's felt it, he understands, he knows, and he doesn't treat it as something to be fixed, he treats it as something to be accepted and then taken a practical twist. So what do I do next? Well, one of the first things I need to do is rest. 
But he says, I'm gentle and I'm depressed and you will find rest for your soul. You can rest your body and not rest your soul. You can stop doing stuff and your mind is still racing. He's talking about the kind of rest that will really bring your soul at peace. Even though your body may be hurting, even though you may be aching, there are people who will tell you that man, when they go exercise, it hurts, but something inside feels better. And so that rest is for your soul. But it's interesting, it says, you will find rest for your soul. I wonder why he says you'll find it. As if it's not just given to you, no, you'll find it. The Greek word there, eurisko, is from the root word eureka in the Greek, which means I found it. Now, you might, if you, if you remember your history or you were paying attention at all, Archimedes, who was one of the greatest scientists ever, made this word really popular, the word eureka. Back 300 years before Jesus, he was trying to solve a problem. It's a long story, but there was a king who gave him the, the, the job of figuring out if this crown that was supposed to be solid gold, if it really was. So he's trying to figure out, how do you find out if gold is solid? And as he was getting in his bathtub, his body was replacing, you know, the mass of his body was moving water up and some of it was splashing out. And it hit him at that moment. And he said, Eureka, because he realized that the amount of mass that's displaced by water will show you the density of the mass. In other words, if you take something, someone who's like, Somebody like me getting in a bathtub moves more water than somebody who's really skinny. So he got so excited, he yelled, Eureka, Eureka. And the Archimedes principle was invented on that day. Now the mythology says that then he ran naked through the streets yelling, Eureka, Eureka, I found it, I found it. But ever since Archimedes, that word Eureka meant especially to discover something after looking for it and it's boom, it's there, wow, a eureka moment. We talk about that, you know, Eureka, California had to do with discovering gold. Eureka, I found it. So Jesus is saying, this rest that I'm talking to you about is something that it'll hit you and you will discover it. It's not, if you understand who I am and you come to me, then you will have your moment of going, wow, this is what rest feels like. This is what rest really is. And it's different for different people as the, uh, the survey that I talked to you about from London you know, came out. For some people, they just said, for me, rest is doing nothing. For other people listening to music or walking or you know, um, some people wanted to be with friends, other people wanted to just be alone, but it's that discovery of You'll know it when you find it because all of a sudden you go, this is actually restoring me. Now, some people may feel that eureka moment when they're in a conversation, but then somebody else in the same conversation may may be like, "Eh, I can't wait to get out of here and shut up. So everyone's different. And that's why Jesus is saying, you need rest. Your soul can't continue to carry a load that it's not capable of carrying. But, you know, I can give you rest, but I'm going to have to help you find it. You're going to discover it. It's going to hit you. And then you go, wow, 
There it is. So that's what it feels like. And so Jesus is telling this to his disciples because they were ultimately going to end up going through all kinds of stuff where if they didn't understand this, it would be devastating. And he understands that it can be the same for us. Now, you know, there are a lot of things that keep us from finding rest. Certainly the pace of our society sometimes is like never lets up. Some of the reasons why people, that people cite as being, you know, there isn't rest. One of them is technology. You have, I mean, it's amazing that in my pocket, I have this little iPhone and all of the knowledge known to mankind is available on that phone. But also, people have access to me. I, like before coming out for first service, I get a text message right while I'm walking out and I look and it's like, hey Dave, I'm thinking of you. I have no idea who it is. It might be, I mean, but I get, I get text messages multiple times a day from Donald Trump, Nikki, Haley, all the other, and like they have access to me through my, through my phone. And I'm a registered independent. I'm not even registered as a Republican, but how did they get my phone number? There are many of you who are good friends of mine and you probably don't have my phone number. Nikki Haley will give it to you, but... <laughs> So technology kind of does that, but I'm not a Luddite, you know. I, it's funny when you study history, you realize, oh, when people talk about, oh, the cell phone is just destroying our ability to have relationships. No, actually, it makes us much more accessible. But every, every invention that changed society for the better, initially, people thought that it was horrible. It's why I'm not freaked out about AI. Oh, AI, what are they going to do? Uh, that's the same thing they said when books were invented. They, they said that people will never have conversations or listen to teachers. They will just read it in books. And when the Bible was printed out in the, with the Gutenberg Bible and the printing press, then it's like, oh, people are never going to go to church anymore. They're never going to listen. When the car was invented, this is going to be disastrous. It's going to destroy society. When airplanes were invented, oh, this is going to be horrible. When the telephone was invented, nobody's ever going to talk to anyone face-to-face -face anymore. So all of those things that make us think that, oh, no, we're doomed, we're not doomed, for crying out loud. We, the Bible gives a very clear pattern of everything. We're going to be doing fine until he takes us. And even then, it's amazing that the world that gets preserved is so much different than that. So the stress of thinking that, oh, we're in a terrible place, but at the same time, you know, with a phone, for instance, it's harder to rest, except you know that thing has an on-off switch, right? <laughs> you can actually turn it off but that's what you have to do. You have to make that choice. You either make that choice or you don't. But, you know, there, so technology, though, sometimes works against us. Materialism is another thing where, you know, back when, when our parents were kids, it was fine to have a 600-square-foot house for a family of five or six and two bedrooms and everybody. It was like that was the way it was. Nobody had more than one car. But gradually, we need more stuff. And then we need a place to put more stuff. And then the storage industry is more than willing to store your stuff in case you ever need it until you, know, the, you forget to make the payment. And then 
it's there on a TV show as people are bidding on your stuff, saying what an idiot you were for buying all this stuff. So yeah, that gets in the way of rest, is all of our materialism. We also, ever since probably the 70s, our society became obsessed with efficiency. You know, the getting things done series, the, all of the, like, making a list and category A, B, and C. How can I get the most stuff done? Throughout history, that was never a concern. Only in the last 60, 70 years, all of a sudden, it's like, I need to get as much done as I can. An obsession with accomplishment. And sometimes it's connected with materialism, but not necessarily but it's this drive that goes on. And then we're also affected by people wanting help from us. People who are like, if you don't do this, somebody you care about is gonna be disappointed. So there are all these kinds of things that make it hard for us to come to rest. But Jesus is saying, if you don't learn this, then you're not getting anywhere. And then so he says, come to me if you're, if you're worn out, if you're exhausted, I'll, I'll give you rest. But take my yoke and learn about me because I'm gentle and I'm depressed and you will discover rest for your souls. And then he says, four, my yoke is easy. Like, okay, it's easy. That, that word means, it doesn't necessarily mean simple. But what the word means is it's totally manageable. The load that I put on you is totally manageable. But then he says, and my burden is light. The Greek word there that's translated burden in our translations is, was actually a shipping notice. It was an invoice. In a warehouse, when you were loading up a load, you had a list of everything that was supposed to be on that load. And what, what he's saying is, my list for you is short. Like, you have your to-do list, I have a to-do list for you. And it's a whole lot shorter than you might think. If you're feeling overwhelmed, you need to connect with me. I can give you rest, rest for your souls. You can discover that, and the, the ultimate result is that it turns out life is totally manageable. And what I am expecting you to do, it's a pretty short list. Now, we look at this. First of all, we have to understand, if we think that we are serving Jesus, but we are totally exhausted, we're misunderstanding whatever it is that we think we've been told to do. And I don't hear this taught on a lot. And I, you know, I grew up in a culture that was obsessively busy all the time. I remember one time, I, was, I probably worked 70, 80 hours a week, but one day there were some guys in the church that wanted me to go golfing with them. And these guys, between the two of them, had given millions and millions of dollars to the church. So I go, okay, I'll do it. Well, Pastor Chuck called my office and the secretary goes, oh yeah, Dave's out golfing. <laughs> so I get back after a long day and it's like three o'clock and I come back in my office and the phone's ringing right away, it's Pastor Chuck. Hey Chuck, he goes, must be nice. I go, what? And I didn't even bother explaining. He's like, you're not so busy that you can't go golfing on a Monday morning. 
But then, you know, he was a guy who worked himself like crazy, but like on Thursdays, he would leave at noon because he did the study on Thursday night. So we always thought that he's at home studying hard and setting that example. But a few times I went over to his house on Thursday afternoon and he's like laying out by his pool. He knew how to rest. He knew how to make those things, but somehow the message didn't always translate to some of the rest of us. And you wear yourself out and you feel like somehow you're doing something for God. And I, it, there used to be this old uh, Christian hymn that one of the lines in it was, I worked so hard for Jesus and no one seemed to care. I struggled beneath the burden and so on. Well, um, years ago at Calvary, my secretary, Mickey, would sing that song. She's working really hard and she'd start singing that really loud as, as a joke. But it was like, that's what we think, that Jesus wants us to just work so hard for him. But here's Jesus going, no, man, I want, you, I want you to be productive, but you're not going to be productive until you learn to restore yourself, until you learn to rest. And this is fundamentally critical to everything that we are and everything that we do. And he's saying, ultimately, if you're burned out, then somehow you're missing something. I remember I, was, I knew about burnout. And there was a guy that I knew had a, had a, con, had a house out in, in uh, Palm Springs at PGA West. And he goes, you need to get away. He goes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you out to my house for a few days and you just rest. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Then the first day he shows up with Don McClure, who was his brother-in-law. And I, I love Don. He is amazing. And they were going to take me golfing. So I'm like, cool, you know. And, but their real agenda was... They wanted to give me the hard truth that I was destroying myself. So first they took me to this country club and bought me new clothes. And Don goes, I go, man, thanks. And Don goes, we're not doing it for you. We're doing it for us. You're an embarrassment. But then <laughs> Don's like picking my brain as we're golfing. And he goes, you know, I used to have so much respect for you. But he said, I've lost all my respect for you. You're a big letdown. I'm like, why? And he goes, because you don't know how to preserve yourself, protect yourself. You're going to burn yourself out when you're young and your effectiveness is going to be ruined. And boy, that stuck with me because I had so much respect for Don. And for him to say that, I didn't, even, I didn't even resent the fact that I got set up. But, you know, it was a message that I needed to hear, but I hear it over and over again. Jesus keeps coming back to me and going, this is what you, you need to learn rest first. It has to start there. If you come toward me, I will send you out with a message that says rest. It's about pacing yourself. And so again, this discovery of rest, if we don't have it, we aren't connected to Jesus in the way that he wants us to because it's his agenda for us. At the same time, we rest is something that you don't just do. Rest is something that you discover. You have to have this eureka moment where you find out, wow, this is what rest looks like for me. And I think that we should always be working on what is it that's truly restorative for me? 
What is it that truly makes me want to get back in the game? And what it is for one person might not be what it is for another person. And that's why Jesus personalizes it and says, you'll discover it. You'll know it when you see it. You'll know it when you feel it. But make this your goal. Not to be a bum. People who are bums burn out because they never actually learn to rest. So then they just sit there binge watching Netflix and feeling like, okay. No, that, that probably doesn't restore you. Depends what you're watching, I'm sure. But you know that may not restore you. Like reading restores you, but not if you're doing it for eight hours a day. So it's individualized. That's what he's telling us. But here's the thing. His shipping invoice is short and it's manageable. So I have to come back to him and say, what is it that you are truly calling me to do? And one of the best ways to discover rest is to shorten that list, is to learn to say no to things that might be fine things, but they just might not be those things that are on his list. And so I, you know, I get, I'm constantly inundated with people who you know, think that I should really watch this 45-minute sermon you know, that somebody did because it'll be, you know, well, I, should, I really should listen to this whole album or I should really, you know, you want to hear it. And it's like, is there ever a time when I think, you know what I really need is more content? I mean, I have books that friends of mine have written that I'm supposed to be reading and they're piling up on my desk. And I'm, but the truth is, to learn what isn't my burden, it's an important thing for me to learn. And the only way to do that is to shorten the list is to say no to things that are really good. And if you send me a video, me not watching it does not mean I think that you're garbage or that I disagree with it or I can't stand that person. Or I, No, it just means my answer to almost everything is no as a reflex. I'm saying that hypothetically. I'm still trying to learn this because it's easy for me to say yes. It's hard for me to say no. But Jesus says, my list is a short one and you won't find restoration. You will not be who you could be. You will not even accomplish what you could accomplish until you shorten your list. So what do you say no to? What do you scratch off? Now, it's not always painless. Jesus certainly lived a life that was acquainted with grief. He was a man of sorrows. But he doesn't promise to make life easy. But what he promises is you'll make it through. You'll finish what you've been set out, what you're set out to accomplish. In the end, it matters. You may be depressed, but you're moving. You're functional. You're still able to do what he's called you to do. And that should feel like something that you take great satisfaction in. Um, and if you go... Okay, Jesus is telling them this. Did Jesus do this? You better believe he did. Think about Jesus. He comes to the earth. When he's 12, he's smarter than any theologian. He gets in a little, you know, two-day debate with some theologians when he's 12. So he's ready to go, right? No, he doesn't start his ministry until he's 30. What's he doing all that time? He's working hard, getting exercise, 
building up strength. That's a part. Most of his life was spent in anonymity. So at the same time, Jesus, throughout his ministry for three years, a whole lot of what he did was walk. If you map out it in the scriptures, you compare the gospels, and you see he's up here in Nazareth, he's down here in Jerusalem, he's up in, you know, he's moving his way through the middle of the country, and he's over off of the coast, and, you know, there, he's like, if you, and you can Google this, they'll show a map of the travels that Jesus did during his three years of ministry. The guy mostly walked. That's what he did most of his life. Most of his teaching of the disciples was spent walking. He did this. And yet still, there were times when he's like, I need to get away. And there was a crowd of people and they were all sick and they wanted to be healed. And he's like, I'm out of here. He'd get in a boat and leave. He would go climb a mountain. He'd leave the disciples to stand guard. And finally, on the last day of his life, the last day of freedom, he's, he takes the time to celebrate Passover with his disciples. And then they walked from Jerusalem over to the Garden of Gethsemane across the Kidron Valley. And they were singing Psalm 113 through 118, most likely. He had the time to sing with them as he's being prepared to die. And then he goes to this beautiful place where he would go often, this beautiful garden that's beautiful to this day. And I think one of the more moving things that we see when we go to Israel is to sit there praying under the same trees that he prayed under there that old and, and recognizing he set that time aside. And when they wanted to find him, that's where they found him, spending time alone with the Father. And so Jesus, over and over again, he lived this out. He said no way more than he said yes. He was never the guy who like, well, in fact, he said things that made people leave. Because like, yeah, you know, I need to streamline this operation. Jesus was an ultimate minimalist, and he's God in the flesh. But he understood this is what you need to do. So that at the end of his life, amazingly, he left all kinds of sick people, all kinds of lepers, all kinds of people that didn't know him, believe in him, hadn't heard the gospel. And he says, I have accomplished everything that the Father gave me to accomplish. Because I've checked everything off his list. How could he say that? He had a short list. He understood. This is what I'm supposed to do. And there's all kinds of good things I could do that... I'm just not going to do it. It's not on my list. And so if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to share that mentality. And that's what he's trying to tell us. So he says, come on. Come toward me. Make an adjustment. Go bounce off who you are off of who I am if you're worn out. And I'm going to give you rest. And when you realize who I am, I'm gentle. I'm not forcing anything down your throat. I'm depressed. I'm not expecting you to cheer up. But you can discover. You can have a eureka moment when you connect with the kind of rest that's going to allow you to be who I want you to be. And then you'll find out this may hurt, but it's definitely doable this, I may not do everything I'd like to do, 
but I've got a short list, and that's what my soul requires. For every one of us, I think, it gives us an indication that one of the things that we might do this week at some point is try to discover our rest. Maybe you already know what it is, you just don't do it. But maybe it's like, no, you need to try doing something and saying, do I actually feel more restored after I do that? It may just be shutting your door. It may be walking outside. It may be just intentionally listening to music for a while or maybe reading something, not something that puts a guilt trip on you, reading something fiction, just something for fun. And you might find out, wow, this is really restorative. By the way, if you think reading fiction is bad, think about Jesus. Most of his life, he spent just studying people's stories. It's, it's fascinating that that was so important to him. So meeting people is certainly not a, whether they're real or fictional, that's not, that doesn't go against what God is calling us to do. It actually can play a part. When you're, like, if you're away from your kids or your grandkids, and then you start seeing other kids somewhere, it makes you miss yours. Then when yours are there, it's like, wow, this is awesome, but I'm glad I don't have to raise them. Yeah, it's like, you find just that right balance. And to me, this is a good reminder to all of us that don't just gut it out. Find what your rest is, and don't make any apologies for the fact that right now what I am trying to do is to, I don't want to kill the goose that lays the golden egg. I want to maintain my effectiveness. And I understand my effectiveness partly depends on my ability to find what rest looks like. And you'll discover it if you start with this assumption, take all the other loads off and Jesus is saying, okay, you want to live for me? Start with this. I want you to find out what rest looks like. For you, maybe this week, his list for you is simply that, to identify what it is that's resting, that's restorative, that's healing, that's recreating for you. And then to plug that into your life and realize, you know, people who rest, again, they live longer, they have better health, and yet we somehow think that, no, it's better to just burn yourself out. People go, well, I would rather, you know, burn out for Jesus than rust out for Jesus. If you're doing it for Jesus, you're not going to do either one. It isn't that. The reason people rust is because they got burned out trying to live up to some false expectations. Pace yourself. He's not asking that much. The truth is, after you're gone, after I'm gone, very few people are going to be affected negatively. Oh, your family will miss you, but then they get all your stuff and your life insurance. You know, it's like, no, really, this isn't like, oh, the pressure's on you. Um, Jesus says, I wish you could figure this out because I really want you to understand rest. It's in those times of rest that you get inspired to see another thing on his list of something that you want to do. It's where your heart for people and ministry comes from is out of rest, not out of burden and obligation. So this is a scripture that I think is well worth memorizing and taking it to heart and 
investing a few minutes this week going over this verse and looking to discover where your point of rest is. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this reminder. And most of us never even think about rest until we've already worn ourselves out. May we proactively determine that rest and recreation, that restoration of the soul is as important, if not more important, than everything else that we do. So teach us as we memorize this powerful scripture, may we begin to live it a bit more as well. In Jesus' name, amen.